Welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm Amanda, and I'm at the beginning of my journey outside of academia through starting my own scientific editorial service. I'm Ian, and I'm in the process of leaving academia, aiming for a career in science communication or editing. And I'm Dr. PMS. I've left academia about one year ago to work as a biotech salesperson, and I'm still in recovery. We're in various phases of transitioning out of academia, and we'll share insights, advice, and problems we encounter at each stage. Welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm here with Amanda and Ian, and today we're going to talk about how the hardest part is deciding to leave. And then, once you decide to leave, how do you know where to go? Who can act as a guide? Do you have to relieve the imposter syndrome all over again? And how do you consistently network? These are all tough questions, and I believe that everything keeps once you think that, okay, maybe I need to leave, then there are all these other side questions that come to your mind and you just don't know where to start, right? Yeah, I mean, that's how I feel like, felt when I decided to leave, like everything just kind of ran through my mind um, and trying to decide what I was going to do next because I always feel like you should be going towards something maybe not necessarily running away from something. Like I didn't want to run away from academia. I wanted to go towards something. Um, but at the same time, I kind of felt like I needed to come to terms with, you have to come to terms with what you're leaving um, and getting over that feeling of failure. Right. Definitely. I think that the, I actually wrote a blog post about that Um if you feel, if you leave, you fail. And that was actually something that it, I got a lot of responses of this uh, blog post because um, we have this academic thing that uh, if we are in academia and we do a PhD, then you have to go for tenure track. And if you don't, is not because uh, you didn't want to or because you you were looking for something else, like you were saying, Amanda. Uh, it's just that you were not good enough. And, and then you have this uh, feeling of, oh, I cannot leave because it will, it feels like a failure. So it's, right. it's, it's more about this, in conscious uh, voice that keeps in your mind that uh, in the back of your mind that if you f- if you leave you failed if you leave you failed and no one wants to fail no one wants to be a loser so I believe that that's one of the first things that we need to overcome uh, yes to decide to leave right there's also like there's some aspect of this especially these days where you um, like there's the feeling of failure, but then there's also the academic culture that makes people who are leaving feel that way. And like, they don't like if you're leaving, like they almost don't want to touch you or anything. And like, I just thought of this now, but 
interesting. I sort of wonder if this is where superstition shows up <laughs> in science, like it does in um, professional athletics, where like the one edge that you might have is literally believing something that cannot possibly be true, and you get a placebo response, and that gives you that edge. And like, but scientists, we don't believe in things like cupping, like the U.S. swim team does. <laughs> um, so we have like other superstitions that are just as irrational, but can be maybe argued a bit better than something like that. Because like, you know, academia is such an uncertain path. Like the majority of people don't go onto the tenure track. And yet that is still considered the default, like at most research universities. Yeah, I don't know. I keep, I keep going back and forth and I think that maybe it, there is a little bit of this of like the people inside academia looks um, like it looks a little weird at you. But I mean, I think it's more accepted now. What I truly believe, I think that is more you. It's more an internal thing is you are the one that thing that you are a failure because oh, sure. uh, you kind of, I don't know, I, I can talk for myself, but I've been in like, you go, um, you go to graduate school and then you uh, in, do a lot of investment on that path. And, and then you go for a postdoc, like I've been working uh, in a scientific lab since I was an undergrad. So I ended up working for that in that for 20 years of my life. Like literally, I started as an undergrad. So there is a lot of this. So uh, I guess it is a combination of both. It's, it's the sunk cost fallacy that you're playing into. And I get my only point with the, uh, the culture is it doesn't help. Let me put it that way. Right. I agree. It's a lot in a lot of it is internal. I think that kind of going along lines the culture, like one of the things that was asked of me at my defense was, do you know how much money we have put into your PhD education? Yeah, absolutely. And I think when I added it all up, it was close to like if you count um, the stipend, tuition, um, and then reagents that I used, I mean, it was around a half a million dollars. Ooh, yeah. Maybe a little bit more. I mean, think about the reagents that you used. I was one of, um, two graduate students that was on my PI's grant and we were the ones that were basically doing all of the research and he had an R01. So. Right. And things have not gotten cheaper over time. Yeah, but this is a little simplistic as well because while you were there, you were doing work. You you did some research. You you had data. You probably have publications. There were undergrads and other students, graduate students, maybe that you were um, teaching them how to do things and helping. So yes, uh, but you see that is the 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 vision that academia they're just doing a favor for you. I mean, you were you were working. You deserve to be paid. So, yeah. No, I mean, I agree with all that. But there's the, there was the idea that you know, you pay it forward by becoming a professor at a 
research institution or at an R1 institution was kind of the underlying message of think how much money we've invested in you. Now you've got to go off and use it. And the way that we want you to use it is to be in this particular path. Right. I mean, that's right. That's where the default comes in. But again, that's another complete fallacy because, you know, look, scientists going out into the world doing other things beyond academia can also be valuable to society. I, I mean, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, look, I consider what I've given back to academia, I, I've done more in terms of, like, I hope getting the word out about, like, hey, take care of your mental health and, you know, that aspect of it. Like, that has been my biggest contribution to academia, not necessarily my science. Now, does it equally value? Probably not. But it's, you know, I, I mean, there are scientists who go on to go, you know, be in policy and to, like, you know, do all sorts of other things that are also valuable to society and that could benefit from having a scientific voice. Like, you know, like, if you don't like the laws in this country, well, 90% of legislators are lawyers. So imagine we had more scientists in the legislature, maybe things could be a little different. I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day about that. Right. Um, right. So, you know, I, I mean, again, like, I'm not saying that a bunch of scientists should go run for public office, but it's, again, it's not, like, the worst idea in the world. And, you know, doing the things that I'm interested in now, like, you know, the communication side, like, well, someone has to be specialized and out there communicating what scientists are finding to the public and putting it in context and... Um, figuring out ways to reach, you know, as broadly as possible. And, like, that's a job, and that's a challenge. And it's, like, inside academia, that really isn't as valued. But it really needs to be, and I think it's starting to be a little bit more. But, yeah. So, like, again, like, it just, like, that that whole, like, we've invested so much in you, how dare you leave us? Like, no, it just doesn't follow that, like, just because I'm leaving academia doesn't mean that I am not do, going to do, go on to do something valuable and great. Like, you know, maybe it's not explicitly scientific, but... And this has to change because uh, I was just uh, trying to find the numbers today and it seems that in uh, the PhDs in life science in a tenure track position five years after they got the PhD, is about 10.6 percent yeah wow and yes so this varies uh according to the field that you're in so this is specifically for life science but okay there's like 90 percent so that means that 90 percent of the um people that have a PhD after five years, they don't go for tenure track. It doesn't mean that they're not in academia. Right. Like a lot of them are probably adjuncting or something. Yeah. Yes. There are yeah. some go to uh, some that are still postdocs or research assistants or technicians. Uh, they're still in academia. Right. So, but still, you know, still this is like uh, as whenever you start doing your PhD uh, the only thing that you think of is, okay, I'm going to be a tenure track uh, professor and I'm going to finally have my lab one day. So right. that's kind of right. like right. your aim. I mean, that's the understanding. And I, I mean, the thing is, like, professors who transition out of academia, like, I feel like are more respected in a lot of ways. 
Because, like, I mean, think about, like, like Francis Collins used to run his own lab, and maybe he still does, but does anyone believe he's really still in science doing research? <laughs> like, he's the director of the NIH. Like, he does not have time to mentor postdocs and PhD students. I guarantee it. <laughs> but, like, I imagine he, he... does talk about his research, though, at meetings. Oh, does he? When we were at the... Yeah, at EB, he gave um, an address for ASBMB the American Society of Biochemistry and Molecular Biology. And he gave a talk and it was, you know, big overview about basic science, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the parts of his talk, he talked about research that was in his lab. And I like half the audience laughed before they realized he was seriously <laughs> talking about research in his lab. Very nice guy. He gave a great talk though. Wow. But was it actual research? Like now, was it uh, modern research? Yes, he was talking about a he was talking about a postdoc, I think, that was in his lab or graduate student hmm. was in his lab, um, and some of the work that they had done. I mean, I feel like if you're the NIH director, like you have PIs who work in your lab or essentially you're under. Like it's more like the European Institute model, like how like the PI is the head of the institute and then there's sub PIs under that and then postdocs and grad students under that. It's another layer to the pyramid. Yeah, that was the only way I could figure that yeah. would work because he was talking about, or he was, somebody told me that he basically kind of flew in for the talk in San Diego and then was kind of flying, like his talk was at nine o'clock in the morning. So he took, I guess he arrived early in the morning and then he was flying out almost to meet like a couple hours afterwards. Right. I mean, and like in the plant science world, like there's like, Nina Fedorov was, you know, like rock star PI who left academia to go work for the department of state. Yes. Um, and like, you know, I mean like people respected that choice and like working on d the diplomacy and communication side about, you know, genetically modified organisms. And like, again, like I feel like she was respected for that choice and it's, fine like and she doesn't have a research lab anymore and that's fine too but like you know if you do it as a phd or a postdoc it's like how dare you leave like i think part of that is also that you've kind of it goes back to that feeling of failure that right you've achieved the goal of being a pi right. at a research institution and you've achieved a certain amount of prominence there right and then no, i think that's true you've moved on from like you've taken that step up if you try to do it as a recent graduate student or from a postdoc well then you've missed that piece of success i don't think that's true but i think that could be part of the view right well i think like part of the like what you're getting to is the decision to leave is like well you have to then move on to something else and it's not always easy to think of what that will be and you're you are essentially starting over and going into uncertainty and this is where, like, maybe this is where I can... Yes, that comes to the question, like, once you decide to leave, uh, how do you know where to go? So this is part of that, because you kind of, like, you feel like a failure, and then you don't know where you're going. You, you have, you're afraid of the unknown, because you're so comfortable, and that's what you've been doing for the last couple of years. And... And then you don't, people keep saying that you can do tons of things, but you don't feel like you're good enough for any of them. Right? Right. I mean, this is where the, like my Shawshank Redemption model of academia comes in. And like, I don't know if you both have seen that movie, but yes, it, yeah. it's a perfect model for academia and leaving, right? Like, you know, the first thing is you're afraid that you're Brooks and you can't make it on the outside because you've been so institutionalized, which, you know, 
and like the thing is like this is not an unheard of bias outside of academia too right where like oh if you've been in academia for so long like you're just you're institutionalized you're not going to be any good for industry xyz you can't possibly be like this applies more to postdocs and to phd students who are transitioning out i think but um like I've run into this, like because I've been a little postdoc for a long time, and like you hear about this, like yep, you're gonna you you can't do anything good for us because you've been a postdoc for too long. You're, you know, you're an academic and you will be for life. Um, yeah, and like you know, it's hard to have that hope that you're gonna be out there and find your, you know, like be able to make it on the outside in the outside world and function out there doing, you know, I mean, quote unquote real world, but I. Like, academia is also the real world. It's just, it can seem like it isn't sometimes because we do some kind of surreal things that most people don't get to do most of the time, right? Like, you know, I mean, we play with DNA and you know, go to field sites and, like, not many people do that. Well, and that's part of where my point in the beginning was talking about having to decide where to go, like, once I made a decision to leave and deciding where to go because that... I think kind of helps alleviate some of the uncertainties if you concurrently decide that you're going to leave and then you have a goal to work towards. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it becomes more concrete then if you say, okay, I'm going to decide, I'm deciding to leave and I'm going to go into, well, in my case, I'm going into editing. Okay, what are my next right. steps? What are my options in this field and how do I get there? Um, I think as scientists, we tend to be kind of goal oriented, right? At least I am, because we are always Definitely. going after trying to get that next result or that piece of data or finish this experiment. Goal oriented so, and internally motivated. Yes. So being able to decide, okay, this is what I'm going to do. So this is how I have to get there, and doing that. Um, as I said, I think that helps alleviate the uncertainty. And can also maybe help you find mentors or people who can serve as a guide because there's people who might have done that before. Yeah, exactly. And it does and it doesn't, right? Well, one thing that it happened with me is that once uh, I was, okay, I don't think I, I need to leave. I need to find a job. Uh, I don't think that I want to be in academia anymore. But I really didn't know where I, what I was going to do, what I was good at. I really had no clue. So what I did, and it was very helpful, was to do a lot of informative interviews. And I got lots of them through Twitter. So I would just... Uh, talk to people that they were outside academia and they were doing things and we will set up a Skype date and we would just talk. They would talk about what they do, uh, how they got there. And some of them, I was like, oh, yeah, I don't think that I want that. And some of them are like, oh, okay, this was nice. So I have a random question about the inter informational interviews because I know that I was always worried about asking people. Did you ever have somebody say, no, I don't want to talk to you or kind of? No, I never had that. I mean, I'm not asking you to name names. I'm just like, what percentage of people were like, really, you want to do this? Versus people who were like, oh, yeah, sure, we can set up a time. I've I never, never had anyone that said sorry, no, but I guess that you can, you have to get to the point uh, that uh, 
you have a conversation with that person and then you ask, you know, I, I feel like you will feel if the person right. is not willing to help, you're not going to ask the person any, at all. Ian? Right. I was going to say, I've had a few people just be ghosts. Like I contact them and like, hey, I'd love to talk. And like sometimes they just never get back to me. Um, but sometimes they'll get back to me, I'll write back, and then I never hear from them again after that. Like that's happened to me a couple of times with, like, like local people, weirdly. Like, almost everyone who I've contacted who lives hundreds or thousands of miles away has said yes. And um, I've interviewed them. And it's, you know, like, I did one this morning with someone, and it was good. And, like, information interviews help, and, like, it does and doesn't help that you have a direction to go in. Like, it's nice to have a direction, and that does alleviate some anxiety. But it is still far from clear to me that I can do that thing, right? Like, even though, like, I have some experience in doing it a little bit, and it's not clear to me where the entry point is still. And, like, that's still very hard to deal with. I think there is a bit with. of imposter syndrome, right? Oh, sure there yes. is. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, and the thing is, like, I've gotten a lot more comfortable, like, leaning into things and doing things and saying yes to things that... Like, yeah, that's not going to be comfortable for me to do, but I can give it a try and see how it goes. Um, but, uh, yeah, but there's still this, you know, like, until I genuinely get my first real full-time job beyond academia, it's going to, I'm going to have a fair amount of anxiety and and feelings of uncertainty about, even though, like, I've sort of decided on a field that I want to focus on. Yes, that's good news. Right. Yeah. So, and, like, maybe some of that is just, like, the chosen field seems like it's as uncertain as academia, but... Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of fields are uncert- just as uncertain as academia. Yes, that, yeah. If not, like, in job security, because that's one thing that academia does have, is that it's got the tenure, so that's job security. But there's a lot of jobs where your day-to-day work deals with a large amount of... Um, insecurity like I worked at a um, medical college so there's a line I worked with a lot of doctors and physicians and there's a lot of uncertainty in medicine Um, there's a lot of stuff that you kind of go through the check boxes but there's a lot of uncertainty like well will people be compliant and different medications and that sort of thing so I mean there's a lot with that um, my dad's an electrical engineer and he likes to tell me like to him this whole idea that you know I'm worried about not having a job like five years down the road or anything my dad's like yeah I work on six month contracts like he works full-time for a company that he's a w-2 employee for mm-hmm. but if his company doesn't have like a contract to keep him busy there's no guarantee that they'll keep him around wow and that's kind of normal you just need to try to have a savings account and and as we were saying like sure. this job doesn't have to be the your next job doesn't have to be your last yes. job and and maybe and that probably won't and be. probably won't be exactly and and maybe you're going to and that's okay lose that job yeah. but then uh, once you have your feet out of the door, once you have your resume and, and then you have experience outside academia and your resume, I feel that it's easier for you to find another thing and and just go to your next job if that's the case, right? Right. 
and I mean, right now I'm, I have a large amount of insecurity or not insecurity, but uncertainty in what I'm doing because I'm trying to you know, attract clients and get people to know about, like, know that I'm, hey, you can hire me for editing your grant or paper or dissertation or whatever, or I can work with you for presentations and that sort of thing. Um, so I'm trying to be like, hey, and then I'm trying to do this whole self-promotion thing, which I think you tweeted about earlier today, and that's completely new and very uncomfortable, and I'm very not sure if I'm doing this right. And so I think that even after you've decided and even after you've been like, okay, I can make a full-time job of this, there's some uncertainty in that as well. But it's easier. It becomes easier because you get used to it. Yes. Like, okay, I might be messing this up, but... Eh. Yeah, no, that's... The, I, I always... It's okay. This is something that it keeps on the back of my mind all the time. Like, uh, am I being... Am I good enough? Am I doing things right? You know, I feel sometimes that salespeople have to be more pushy. And I'm not... That, I'm definitely not that pushy. I try to help the professors and understand what they need. But if I think that they don't need that, I'm not going to push them to have that. So I'm there really... I really try to help them... Uh, and in the end, in the long term, it can be good, but um, but I don't know. For I need to sell things, you know. I also need that. Uh, so I that always keeps in the back of my mind, like, oh, am I doing this right? I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if uh, I should be doing this or that or doing better. Uh, but I guess that I don't know. Is there? Uh, is there a time in life that you don't have that feeling? I think that that's just life, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think, you're, I think you're absolutely right. You, will, I don't think that you will be a hundred percent confident and 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 hundred percent know what, like, okay, I'm 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 totally good at this, and and life changes as well. Like even if you were in academia, when you were an undergrad, when I was an undergrad, I had some things, and then graduate student, you learn, and then when you get a postdoc, then there are other responsibilities, and then you don't know if you're doing it right, and if eventually you get to tenure track, then you are responsible for a bunch of people and a bunch of research mm -hmm. that is tough, you know? I guess that that's that's just like I don't know I think that that's just part of life yeah I mean I don't disagree with that um like and I'm sure that it is but like I I, I feel like like as Amanda was saying you get used to it eventually but in academia it's hard to get used to that because mm -hmm. like you know you are like a PhD student for six or seven years and then like postdocs are getting longer too like even if you do two or three postdocs like you know it's you're still in academia you're still um, you know, in that world that you're very familiar with. And then to leave it is still, like, it's a super uncertain feeling, right? Yes. Like, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm wrong about that, that it's more intense than some other things, but it's, you know, like... No, it's definitely that. For me, especially, like... Like, because, like, because for you two, right, let me just ask this. Maybe this is wrong, mm -hmm. but, like, whatever your next job is it's probably going to be more similar to what you're doing now than it is from academia, right? Like academia was different from what you're doing now yes. to a large yeah. degree. And what you'll transition into next is going to be 
probably a little more seamless. Like, Academia seems like it's a bigger... Academia to something else seems like it's a bigger shift. Oh, yeah. No, no, definitely. Definitely. Than, like, subsequent shifts. No, no, no. I definitely agree. And there's also what I said about the time investment. You know, you invest a lot of time yeah. in academia. Yes. And, and and the other thing about academia that uh, I also wanted to cover as a, one of the reasons that for me was super hard is the passion. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's not just a job. It not, it's not just uh, going there and doing a couple of experiments and coming back home you get emotionally involved oh yeah with that you know mm-hmm. you want to know you want to you ask questions you read about things you discuss with your peers and then you actually do the experiment and when you have the results and you can plot the results and have your data and you are super excited so for me one of the hardest hardest part was uh this to leave uh, the research part, that uh, because I I I really have passion for all this part. The thing is, uh, whenever in academia you cannot just do that part. You know, you have all the rest that comes with it. Uh, so I I what I'm trying to say is just I think that this. Leaving academia is harder. I agree. I totally agree with Ian. And and it's just not because of uh, that academia is different to different from other things. I think it's it's because one of the time that you spend there, that uh, everybody that has a PhD is not in academia for less than ten years, and the other is the feeling of passion that you have. Right, but I mean that's also could be a sign to leave. Because, I mean, I'm ready to step away from the bench and do something else. Like, the things that excite me that I'm passionate about now are the, like, hey, I just read a great piece of science writing. I read a great piece of science communication. I love, like, getting to know the scientists themselves a lot more now. Like, I'm a lot more interested in that than doing the bench science. And that's just another indication for me that, like, yeah, I need to leave academia and like I'm sort of telling a more positive story about it than when I initially decided like you know I have to leave academia and that's going to be hard but um like you know I am actually kind of excited about like you know other things besides that and so like I think like you know going back to our original questions like you know and making the decision that it's hard to leave like yes it is but like if you find that you're more excited about something else then good and like you know i mean it's taken me a while to get to this point don't get me wrong but um i think i'm there and like i can tell a positive story about leaving that's exactly why i decided to leave was that i found that i was excited about other things i really enjoyed um i really enjoyed writing i really enjoyed helping people communicate i liked that part more than the bench work. I like the story aspect. I like talking to people about their science. I liked understanding, okay, this is how you got started and how this idea evolved and you got to this point and then you found by chance by a conversation with somebody else that this was related or, hey, you remember this thing that you learned back in grad school that your um, friend was doing and that kind of, like, I liked the stories behind it more. And diving back into history, yeah. Right. And that got me very, I was very excited about that. And 
when I decided to leave, that played a big portion. And that's kind of where my whole like going towards something as opposed to away from something came in was this idea of I'm not that excited about being at the bench. I'm like, I had gone through all the cons and I was like, this is where I wanted to go. So I have a question for you both. Uh, So how was this process of uh, deciding what, what you're good at and what do you want to where do you want to go did you talk to people was like you talk to yourself (laughs) well because i believe that is an internal thing you gotta sit down and and read like i didn't i didn't go that far (laughs) yeah i didn't say i was good at anything yet and like i don't know how yeah you know what i mean like it's i I mean look I started my science blog, and that's exciting to me. Like, I've been doing some editing work. That's exciting to me. Like, I was asked to consult this morning about a workshop someone wants to propose for a conference um, that's sort of in my wheelhouse, too. And that was exciting also. Am I good at it? Uh, I mean, that's a harder question, Like, and I don't... My felt sense is no. Like, I mean, I get feedback every so often. It's like, yeah, you're a really good writer, Ian. I'm like, well, thank you. That's nice. But, you know, that's not my felt internal sense very often, where I'm like, wow, that turned out really well. Um, <laughs> like, I, I'm still relying on the external feedback for that. Like, you know, it's not an internal dialogue I have. And it, it's taken me a while to get even to be, you know, like, I'm still self-deprecating, but... I'm less hard on myself now than I used to be, for sure, about, like, you know, how I, the work that I do. But, you know, like, it's still uncertain to me, is like, can I do this for a living? I hope so, but I don't know, because I haven't done it yet. For me, it wasn't so matter, so I talked to a bunch of people. Um, I talked to people on Twitter, I talked to friends, I talked to family, I talked to myself, like, I journaled, <laughs> like, I didn't talk out loud, because that's weird, and it wakes up children, so I, <laughs> I journaled quite a bit, like, I did all that, like, I'm, right, I talked on Twitter a I lot, really did, for sure, yeah, talked on Twitter a lot, um, so I really did think about it, uh, it wasn't so much that I went to figure out what I was good at, I mostly right. went to this idea of, okay, what do I like? And then I figured I would move towards what I liked, and then I'd get good. I'd figure out how to get good at it. That's kind of my attitude, too. It was one of the things, yes, because that's one of the things I feel like from my PhD that I, maybe this is being arrogant or overconfident, but one of the things that I feel like a PhD teaches everybody is that you can... We can learn um, good. Yeah, you learn good. Like, I... I can learn things really, really good, but drop me into any place with the internet and maybe a book, I can figure it out. Yeah. I guess that that's very nice to yeah. hear, and I think that we can uh, wrap this up in a optimistic tone that although the hardest part is deciding to leave, it is possible, and it can be... an less painful i hope yes right i mean we're far from done talking about these things so like don't let listeners don't worry that you know we're just going to drop this these kinds of topics because 
there's more to say about this. Yes, and I was going to tell everybody that you can uh, find us on Facebook. It's the Recovery Academic Podcast. You can like our, our page and uh, post comments and ask us questions, suggestions of topics. And we're here to have a conversation with you all. And I hope that you enjoy it and see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Academic Podcast. Our music is from bensound.com under a Creative Commons license. You can find us on the web at recoveringacademic.net where you can contact us and subscribe to our newsletter. You can find all of us on Twitter. I'm at Lady Scientist. I'm at Dr. Underscore BMS. And I'm at IH Street. And don't forget, there is sunshine outside the ivory tower.